Welcome to the Open to Truth podcast. I'm Clinton Neptune. Hey, I'm Tony. This is episode seven. And today, um, yeah, we want to talk about a number of things. Uh, most notably, this notion of disagreeing agreeably. Mm. Um, That's cute. Did you come up with that? I didn't know you, you did, I think. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, it was me. That's right. <laughs> Why? How did you come up with that? I have no idea, actually. I don't know. Well, I was preparing for a sermon series that I was preaching back in February, March of 2018, this year. And this series came out of um, just my desire to be able to have the church be a place where open and honest and frank discussion can happen without fear and um, feeling threatened or feeling like you need to get defensive. And out of a desire to have those kinds of conversations, I realized this isn't something we talk about a lot, how to have these kinds of conversations, how to grapple with new ideas and worldviews that you disagree with without feeling the need to like put your fists up and really defend your own. Uh, and so I thought, well, I'll do a series on it and we'll talk about it. Uh, some different tips for how to do that. Hmm. Ironically, the series led to some disagreements that were not super agreeable in the way that they were handled. So I don't know how many hmm. people really got the big picture of what we were trying to do, but I still right. think it's a useful conversation. Sometimes I accidentally say agreeing disagreeably. Yeah. Right. And I think of the character Craig from Parks and <laughs> yeah, Recreation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, you know, <laughs> is super loud and shouts like, yeah, I love you and I really like what's going on. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that would be agreeing disagreeably, but we want to disagree. Agree. We don't want necessarily to disagree, but right. if it comes up, if you find that someone thinks differently than you, has different reasons for thinking things that you don't have, um, that you would be able to sort through that discussion in an agreeable posture that yeah. leads to a life-giving scenario for both parties involved. Yeah. Well, particularly some of it was born out of realizing that Christians oftentimes in an attempt to communicate a message of love and grace go about it in a very unloving and ungraceful way. Um, and so the message sometimes can get lost in translation. Like you're so fired up with your zeal to, I don't know, see this person come to the light or you know, be saved or converted or get across the line or whatever goal you have that you, you become desperate and you actually kind of miss the whole point of the thing in the way that you present it. So I wanted to get at that as well. Yeah. And we can, I don't know how we want to do this. Think more about the ways that, um, or the reasons for why someone might disagree disagreeably. Yeah. I think one thing that's come up quite a bit in our church recently is there are some like perceived super sacred doctrines or beliefs yeah that if you are to invite questioning or doubt then somehow that's going to lead to undermining this whole foundation or i think you refer to it as like a jenga tower yeah that's kind of how i picture my my entire constructed worldview is built one belief at a time, like one brick at a time, like a Jenga tower. And if something on the bottom, one of your most foundational beliefs suddenly turns out to be wrong or falls out of the tower, the whole thing can collapse and you'll have to sort of rebuild it from the ground up. And I think hmm. there's a, I don't know, there's a fear associated with asking questions that that might happen. That what if that happens to Christianity? What if that happens to my entire faith or this church? Then, then where does that leave yeah. us? Do you think that 
having the Jenga tower knocked over is bad? Like, should that be something you avoid doing? <laughs> no, I, I think, no, I think it. Like, what if someone was knocking their Jenga tower over every three months? Before, um, before you say okay. something like it's an inherently good thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Shouldn't we worry? It's not something that should happen all the time. Or, no. or is it? I, I don't, I don't I know. Think, I think my like when I think about my Jenga tower, my worldview, I'm constantly kind of working at the top of the tower, hmm. rearranging bricks. But like the yeah. things at the bottom of the tower, I put in place a while ago because I was pretty sure I could start there as a foundation hmm. that wouldn't move for a while, would be pretty unshakable. And I reckon I can build a pretty good tower off of that foundation. So I'm sort of on the lookout for what things can I be really sure of as I try to build this Jenga tower. Let's start with the, the things I'm going to hold most tightly that if I had to rework those, I'd have to rework the whole tower. And I find that those don't change so much for me. Mm. But the bricks towards the top, which are all these secondary issues, I'm constantly like taking out bricks, trying on new ones, seeing how this fits and does this make more sense than the other. And so I'm okay with doing that since I don't have to rebuild my whole tower. And yeah. that's part of spiritual growth. And we don't have to shoehorn everything into this analogy, but for me, and ironically during seminary, I found perhaps that some, I was attributing a particular Christian doctrine to a brick at the bottom of the tower that perhaps shouldn't have been. Sure. So I don't know whether to phrase it like that, or maybe I just ended up, I thought it was down here at the bottom, but I ended up pushing out a middle block or something. Yeah. But one of those things was just a super conservative view of what the Bible is. Mm. That it's how we've talked about before, like basic instructions before leaving earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bible. Bible. And it's kind of dropped down from the sky. Uh, God's word to people is primarily about just you can know things about God from a plain reading of the text. Yeah. Um, that it doesn't have any errors right. in it. Inspired and inerrant and authoritative. Um, I had, uh, for sure, like for a long time, I think that was at the base of my Jenga tower. Yeah. So there was a time, yep, yep. perhaps I'm even still in the reconstruction of it, but where uh, that began to be pushed out and needed to kind of rethink. And then that would have led to, consequently, you discovering here's a bunch of other things that need to change or now can change. Right. Because this uh, this one brick has changed. Yes. Yeah. And do you find that process uncomfortable or scary or exciting or? Yeah, I do. Um, from from a number of fronts. One, there's just the wrestle with the self. Yep. Like, am I being honest with myself? Um, but then I think for a lot of folks, particularly and myself included, um, what will my social circles think totally. of me? Totally. Yep. Um, you know, someone that I looked up to in the past, um, or that I still do still view them. Like I care about what they think about me Yeah, and would changing one of these core beliefs, uh, like frustrate or ruin the relationship. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's always a fear, but I think just getting back to what one thing the podcast is really about is trying to exemplify and um, manifest the intellectual virtues mm. and one of them being courage having the courage like firefighters have courage when they like feel the appropriate amount of fear or something they're not reckless yeah but they're not cowardly they're brave and they go into burning buildings save people at the risk of their own life that, mm -hmm. like that's courage maybe on the physical front 
Yeah, yeah. But then there's this notion of intellectual courage. Am I willing to pull, like, let that Jenga tower fall? Mm. Am I willing to change what I believe in light of um, the reasons and evidence that I'm current? I feel the pull of those reasons and evidence contrary to what I think. Yeah. And like, do I have the courage to genuinely change what I believe and to then act upon that belief? Mm. Yeah, it's a tough thing to do. For sure, as I was going through a similar deconstruction and reconstruction, the hardest thing about it for me was being on staff at a church and having grown up in the church. There is a desire to be part of the club and belong mm. and fit within a certain category and label. And for me, the, the biggest fear was that what the people I once considered family would consider me an outsider. Mm. So not so much that I would change how I felt about them, but that they would suddenly look at me like someone who's not really part of the club. And that to me was the threat of isolation in that way was what made it difficult. Yeah. And there's even some folks, and I don't know if we w- it would be right to really call them friends, but would then like, could label you as an enemy of the gospel. Totally. Or you're a traitor, a, right. a betrayer. Yeah. Just, yeah. For, just for thinking something different about, I don't know, various axioms within systematic theology just questioning it yeah or you know coming to a different conclusion on them as that as though we aren't both on team jesus right it's, yeah yeah so i think that's that's one of the reasons that people will start to get defensive in conversations mm-hmm. going back to the disagreeing agreeably thing is it's it's all of that fear plays into it that there's going to be work involved if i have to give up these beliefs and reconstruct my tower. That's mm-hmm. just so there's an amount of effort I will need to exert. Um, and then there's fear of the unknown. I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know socially where I'll be standing or which club I belong to. And so, yeah, I think the reaction to that feeling it sounds of threat, It sounds so easy to do. Yeah. It sounds like a really simple thing. You might even think like, oh yeah, I, I'm not a disagreeable person. Yeah. But I don't know. Sometimes we really can be, you know, Yeah, that you, you might be fine in principle or just in your head about, yeah, I'm, I'm not against disagreement, yeah. but that you don't really treat it in an agreeable stance. Right. Here's a small example, but like just, just how actually difficult it is to be open to change, mm. at least for me and you, there are times I'll suggest new music to you yeah. and there's a twinge of, you don't want to listen to it. Yes. Why? Yeah. It's a good thing I'm telling you, you know, like <laughs> absolutely. I'm recommending it because I found it really pleasurable and enjoyable. Yeah. But your gut reaction is, Neh. I confess that to you a few <laughs> weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, yeah, change and, and new thinking is, yeah, it requires, I guess, some humility um, to be able to admit, hang on, I might have something to learn here or I haven't got this figured out. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, a degree of introspection and working on oneself. Mm-hmm. constructing oneself one one thing too could be yeah it, i mean it's this is a sub layer of the general f- fear mm. idea but that uh i think folks that are most disagreeable or like you know are engaging in disagreement disagreeably yeah <clears throat> aren't really sure of things themselves yes feel like perhaps if they were truly pressed on what they believe that they wouldn't be able to give yeah. a defense of it. So they feel threatened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, 
lash out, try to poke holes in what you believe, or just kind of red herring the whole thing away. Well, yeah, and it it begins to feel like in those situations. I'm sure you've all had these kinds of conversations. It begins to feel like a you versus them fight or something. That's how it's being treated mm-hmm. by the other person, that as though they have to win and you have to lose or something. Yeah. Instead of approaching the conversation as a mutual discovery of truth, like here we both are seeking truth. Yeah. And here's this issue. Let's see if we can explore it in a way that doesn't have to be threatening to either right. of us. Let's explore like, together. Why would I, it's just, it's a funny thing. Like, why would I be upset if I found out I was wrong? I should be happy in a way. Right. I could be disappointed. Like, oh shoot, I've been thinking the wrong thing all the, all these years. You think there's some sunk cost fallacy to it? I think absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like I've invested 50 years of my life thinking this certain way. Well, yeah. 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 I mean, uh, I'm not saying like that atheism is true by any means, but some pastors I feel like come to that crossroads mm. where they no longer feel like they really believe in God anymore, but right. will subdue that for the purposes of, you know, they've invested their whole life in the church and they're going to give up their career and yeah. Right. So they'll just kind of tough it out, live out their last days yeah. wearing a mask. <laughs> And I'm not even uh, that might even be the right thing to do. I'm not commenting on that, but that's just you know a way where sunk costs complain to these things. Yeah, yeah, but just this idea of uh, feeling like I would be mad if I was wrong. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like you should be in a way glad that someone pointed out a flaw in the way you were thinking. Like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to come closer to the truth yeah it's just this weird perspective like it is a good thing to be right in a way like that's a desirable thing to be to have correct thinking yeah to have the propositions you hold in your mental space align with reality right like great but just um you want that outcome yeah the the alignment with reality just the notion being right um is like sometimes idolized. And so you defend being right at the cost of missing out on that. Of actually being right. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. So being, yeah. being, that's why the posture of openness kind of makes sense in that way and is virtuous because it allows you to come to truth and avoid falsity. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just, ima- I- I'm just visualizing this. If you imagine correct beliefs as being like blue Jenga bricks hmm. and wrong ones as being red, being mad about somebody showing you that one of your bricks is red is like just screaming in their face that no mate my tower is all blue well mate i can see that it's not one of the bricks is red (laughs) if the the goal is to have a blue tower that's right and i'm trying to help you by showing you that one of yours is red right now so Mm. here take this blue one instead you'll be one step closer to having a tower of correct beliefs right so yeah that's interesting and then there's even a element of this that goes past being right or wrong Mm. and just developing the character trait, the stance, the virtue, the habit of not letting disagreement get to you. Rattle you. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Totally. There's tremendous value to that in all areas of life, non-theological ones, (laughs) just like in your marriage, just like, can you handle disagreement in a way that's charitable and non-threatening without feeling like the sky needs to fall and you need to put up your fists and mm-hmm. really fight. It, it just always helps in these situations to separate yourself and the other person from whatever the issue is. The issue is not you versus them. 
There is some matter, but you can both be on the same side, seeking the same answer, trying to find a solution. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm just imagining that like for myself, particularly uh, like a few years ago and for others, it can just be hard to in real time be that in command of your thought life mm. and like realizing that something's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, how do we like build up that muscle of discernment that right now I'm like, I'm getting away with myself. I like my thoughts are getting away from me. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting angry. Here. There's something yeah. that's attacking my Jenga tower. I, like, I don't think that bricks red. Yeah. Is there a way that we could, if only there are a way that I could pump the pump the brakes on that mental train yeah. and just take a moment, take command of my mental inventory or my emotional inventory yeah. and just really wield it, take the reins. Yeah. I do think that it's, it's possible to enter like states where you, you actually kind of really lose it and flip your lid. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced what it's like to be in a rage, a fit of rage, mm. or you've seen that happen in somebody, but like we talked a few podcasts about a, few podcasts ago about that animal nature coming out it just freaking comes out in full force like ready to kill Um, i've I've had it for like you know one or two seconds yeah yeah particularly like (laughs) it's so dumb but like in a video gaming situation yeah yeah like where i really felt robbed or yep and i just like and i i i even clench my fist and i'm like ready to jack the wall stress every muscle in your body bring it back boy (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that can that can for sure happen and i think that's sort of the that's the worst case scenario of this um, issue that we're talking about of not being in command of oneself. And I have found that one of the biggest helps in all of this is, yeah, learning to gain control of your mind, starting with increasing your awareness. So this can be done through mindfulness meditation. That's what I would recommend. What in the world is that? Mindfulness meditation 101. So, um, there is no, there's no beliefs you have to really adopt to do this. It's just a practice, a mental exercise that you can do like Sudoku or a math problem. There's a mm. mental exercise you can do to strengthen this muscle of being aware of what's going on, not only in your body and in the physical environment, but also in your thought life and in your mental life. So mindfulness meditation in a nutshell goes like this. You pick some sensation uh, that you're experiencing. It's commonly... Uh, the breath, focusing on the breath, what it feels like to breathe in and to breathe out. You're not trying to control your breath at any particular rate. You're just breathing like normal, letting it happen, but you're paying really, really close attention to the breath. So you want to totally be present in that moment and feel what it feels like to breathe in, feel what it feels like to breathe out. And then Inevitably, you will find that after a few breaths, you will have caught yourself daydreaming and you have stopped paying attention to the breath mm. and you are running away on That's some... natural. That's it's totally natural. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. And when you first get started, this will happen every breath, every two breaths. You will realize, hang on, I've been distracted thinking about some other train of thought. And that's just what the mind does is it's generating thoughts. And so the goal of meditation is to notice that distraction. Mm. That's a real success. It's not that you should never become distracted, but notice that train of thought arising as soon as it does and and wake up and, and pay attention to the breath again. And you just repeat that. It's not like you're going into a trance with your eyes rolled back in your head. Going, no, Bruh. right, right. In some void, you know, mental void. That's not the goal. The goal yeah. is to become in, incredibly aware of what's going on. 
And you'll find that as you start to do this, if you're able to make it a daily practice, again, it doesn't have to be long. A minute a day is helpful. Five minutes a day is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, what you'll find is that you in life will just start to be more aware of what's going on. You'll start to pay more attention, especially to yourself, what you're feeling in your body. Like emotions nowadays, I'm very aware that like if there's a flash of anger, I experience that in my chest. That's where I feel mm. the anger. Oh, I'm feeling a sensation in my chest. What is that? Oh, I'm I'm anxious about something. What am I anxious about? And But instead of just getting carried away with my anxiety, I notice it really quickly and then I can choose. Do I want to follow that train of thought? Is that rational or is it irrational? And yeah. how do I want to direct my flow of experience? So the same thing can help us when it comes to being aware of those sensations arising in a, in a defensive conversation or like a, mm-hmm. a tense disagreement, you can start to notice it. I can feel my blood pressure rising right now, you know? And so yeah. maybe I need to take a step back or chill out a little bit. Cool. You put it the other day to me, something about like having a noisy mind. Yeah. Is that, are we trying to limit having a noisy mind or are we just forever plagued and we need to take breaks from <clears throat> it, the noisiness? Uh, How does that work? That's a good question. I mean, I think I think minds are just noisy. Mm. Um, my, like I'm thinking of a like a I don't know if the terms are right here. Like a Zen yeah. Buddhist monk or something. Does he just have a really clear, quiet mind? That well, or is he, you know, perturbed by he, surroundings? It, it might like be I the am. case that a master meditator like that is able to. Um, continue in the experience of flow longer than the average person, such that their whole life becomes one sort of what, what is that? flow experience that you're paying attention What's to. What's a flow experience? Um, <clears throat> so it's pretty similar to this idea of mindfulness meditation, just being fully aware of mm. the present moment okay. and engaged in the present moment, such that you're not worrying about the future, what will happen. You're not worrying, ruminating on the past, what has happened or hypotheticals. Yeah. You're just right here, right now. So a lot of times extreme sports will put people in flow states. So when uh-huh. you're mountain biking, all you're thinking about in that moment is the trail right in front of you and what you've got to do. Um, video games are designed to create flow experiences to get you just so immersed in the game, you lost track of time and, and all of that. So yeah. it may be, I can imagine a master meditator who has turned his whole life into that sort of a flow experience wow. <laughs> where he's, he's present at all times. Is that good? I don't or, know. Is it good to be, should we try to get that or it's well, just cause it strikes me as, you know, something well, as should be punctuated. Like we need, sometimes I need to think about the past and the future. Yeah. Like I need I, to think about my bills before they arrive in the mail and I'm looking at it like, Oh, a bill. I need, now I need to find money. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I don't think the goal is to eliminate planning or anything, but okay. it's, to, it's to eliminate runaway thinking, mm. which is mastery of the mind. What we spend so much of our time doing, man, we spend so much time in our heads thinking about hypothetical situations that aren't happening and won't happen and how we would respond to them and how we're going to respond to them if they do. And so much of it never comes to pass. And because of that, we miss what's going on in the present. Hmm. So there's that. And then there's also just like dissatisfaction that can come from constantly ruminating about like, if only things were different, I just wish I had X, Y, Z thing. Or if only my circumstance was this instead of what I'm currently in. Um, And so being fully aware in the present is a way of eliminating that kind of suffering of wishing things were different just being fully present to how things are right now. Some suffering is self-inflicted. 
a through, ton through your own mind and ruminations. This is what's so interesting. So I've just read, I read the book flow is what okay. it's called um, on read that back in January. And uh, he talks in the book about how uh, the difference between like prisoners who break in prison and prisoners who can endure like crazy torture oh. and stuff. And it's the ones who turn the prison experience into a kind of a flow experience somehow wow. they will gamify the prison experience such that they are i don't know whether it's counting tiles or it's tallying days or writing poetry or Jeez, whatever it dude. is so it's really interesting that the the way that paying close attention to the present like that is able to reduce suffering that you experience hmm. yeah and that can help us be agreeable yeah well i mean i just think conflict i think self-awareness just yeah being aware of your state what's my headspace right now like where are my emotions at and being able to recognize i'm not in a good enough place to have this conversation charitably this Um, just sounds like a good thing to try to do for all in life life situations (laughs) i I mean i think so yeah i think take yeah take control of your mental life you don't have to be along for the ride you get to choose what you think about Hmm. Like you really do get to direct your thoughts. That's, that's crazy. That's a really cool ability that we have to reflect and direct our experiences. Do you think that that conflicts with anything a naturalist would say about the world? And by naturalist, I just mean, uh, you know, a, a broadly like atheistic godless world with no free will, just matter and energy. Yeah. Does this whole concept makes sense for them or do you have to buy into some metaphysics to do this um no i mean i'm thinking of just how you were talking for a moment there about like i'm able to direct the attention it really to me sounds like there's a locus of agency yeah at work there but yeah i mean i think the naturalist would just say that what i'm calling that is an illusion of choice right wouldn't isn't that what they would say yeah, I'm just worried that like on their view, like so a Sam Harris yeah. would totally be in favor of the mindfulness meditation and yeah. talks about it on his podcast quite a bit. And he denies freedom of the will, right? Right. So, so I'm worried that it does end up collapsing to just kind of a hook in the nose being led around by matter and energy, uh, you know, interacting with each other. And like I'm a weather vane on top of a barn in a storm blown around by my circumstances and inputs and there is no will to direct the attention. Just my Mm. mind is going to go where it goes from the beginning of the universe was scripted. I mean, does he have to say, I don't think you have to say that. I just, I think that's a separate conversation. mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't see how one implies the other. Well, like, well the flow or, you know, how the mindfulness meditation seems to be resting on the idea that I can purposefully direct my attention towards something and put away other thoughts. I mean, isn't volitional talk just supremely wrapped up in that? Yeah, I guess so. I I mean, ask Sam Harris how he responds to that. I don't know. I'm just (laughs) telling you, I can direct my thoughts. And so I will continue to do it if it reduces my suffering. Hmm. The metaphysics don't work. So I was just curious. I was if, just trying to be open shot with the poison arrow. Are you trying to find out who made the arrow and who poisoned it and where they shot it from? Just take the arrow out, mate. Mm. Fair enough. That's what I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. I don't know how he would respond to that. I haven't read his book on free will. So 
All right. Well, that's all we have for today. Um, you can check us out or you can reach us mm-hmm. with any of your disagreements. Yes, Hopefully please. you'll do it in an agreeable fashion. Hope so. At open to truth podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And of course the, our website open to truth podcast.com. Uh, that's you know a way that you can reach out to us also. Sweet. We want to hear from you. Yep. We'll see you next time. <laughs>